Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Alex Jacob, CEO of Church Ministry Amongst Jewish People. Alex Jacob, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you very much. I've wanted you on the programme for a while, Alex, because you are the CEO of CMJ. What does CMJ stand for? It stands for the Church's Ministry Among Jewish People, and we're the longest serving Jewish ministry beginning back in 1809. And so how did that start in 1809? Right, yes, I mean, I wasn't there personally at that point, (laughs) but in 1809, uh, a Jewish believer in Jesus, a guy called Joseph Frey, he became convinced that God was calling him into, into mission work among his own people. His dad was a rabbi and he had a long journey to faith, but eventually he, he was convinced that Jesus, Yeshua, was the Messiah and he put his trust in Jesus and he wanted to go to do mission work. Originally it was in, among tribal groups in South Africa, but he saw the need of his own Jewish community in East London and he felt this is where God wants me to be. So he started a a mission among his own people in East London in 1809. I I, I like that. Of course, we want to reach the world. Sure. But like myself, I'm Greek Cypriot. I'm an evangelist. I want to reach people of all nations and all cultures. But I still do have a heart for Greek Cypriots. Yes. So it's in a similar way. I, I think... Obviously, the, the gospel is for everybody, and there's that universal truth of the gospel, and we want to share wherever and with whoever. But I think we're also looking for natural connection points where, where we feel we have that link with people. And I think Joseph, like many other Jewish people, felt they had a responsibility and a privilege to go first to their own community. And probably in 1809, Uh, the Jewish community was very much overlooked by the church in terms of mission priorities. So it was trying to address an absence, but also trying to build on a natural connection point. So picking up on what you've just said there, Alex, the church prior to that had overlooked. Why do you think that? I think probably that going right back in church history, that there has often been, not always, but I think there's often been a kind of implicit anti-Semitism, because there's been a sense in, we are the church, we are the people of God. So if somehow you have to try and understand God's ongoing faithfulness to Israel and to Jewish people, that may be, in certain circumstances, undermining your own identity. So I think certain churches felt uncomfortable in dealing with Jewish mission, because I think it does make you shine a light back on your own identity, your own claim um, to election, your own understanding of the scriptures. So I think there was a kind of implicit anti-Semitism which prevented that. I think also often the Jewish community was among the poor at that time. There was no Jewish emancipation. So maybe some people felt this is a group which isn't really worth investing in. But I'm not sure, but I think there's a combination of reasons. And do you think that is still today? There are some areas yes. of the church that still think like that. Yes, and, and, and I think there is, I think there is for some churches um, either a, a feeling that somehow Jewish people are beyond hope because somehow they are, it, it comes with an anti-Semitic worldview that somehow 
Jewish people are responsible for the death of Messiah, so therefore they are beyond hope. I, I mean, it's not always articulated that clearly, but I think that's sometimes part of people's DNA. Or there's the other side, which romanticizes and elevates Jewish people, and as we said, well, because they're Jewish, because they are descendants of Abraham, they are somehow already in a right relationship with God, so there's no need to share the gospel. So in a sense, you're either too bad for the gospel or you're too good for the gospel. Yes. And um, we, we know both of those are, are completely wrong. You can't be too good and you can't be too bad. The gospel is, is relevant to everybody and especially Jewish people. And I think, Jay John, the, the priority of Jewish mission to the Jew first is something which every Christian group needs to engage with it may be interpreted in different ways, but I think we all need to engage with that priority calling of Scripture, Romans one sixteen, to the Jew first. Yes. How do you interpret that to the Jew first? Well, I, I think there is a, a, a biblical priority to share among the Jewish people first because um, the faith we have is is a gift from Jewish people. In, in Romans, it talks about the eight blessings which come from Israel to the church. So I think if you've inherited something from someone, if, if you if you had a really good friend who's blessed your life or brilliant grandparents, and you can somehow bring a blessing back to them, I think that's a particular responsibility. So I think to the Jew first for the church is an acknowledgement of what we have inherited from Jewish faith and Jewish communities. And, and I think also there's a promise that uh, somehow in God's mysterious purposes, when Jewish people say yes to the gospel, that brings blessings to the whole nations in, in a way. Um, Paul talks about all Israel being saved. So, and that has uh, implications, I think, for, for mission strategy as well. So I believe it is uh, to the Jew first. Uh, but equally to the Gentile. There's no first and second class here. So I like to translate that verse in, in, in Romans, especially for the Jew and equally for the Gentile. Yes. I think that's probably better with the Greek, but I think actually it creates the right climate in evangelism, especially for the Jew. This is your story. This, this, this is Jesus. Uh, it can only really be fully understood in a Jewish context. So this is your story. It's especially for you despite years of anti-Semitism or misunderstandings between the church and the Jewish world, this story is, is especially for you, but it's equally for everybody else. Absolutely. And um, you've written a number of different books. Yes. And yes. I've really enjoyed, Alex, uh, dipping into these books, 100 Days with Luke, 100 Days in the Book of Acts, 100 Days in the Book of Romans. Yes. Now, obviously, you're your perspective as you read these, the Gospels and Acts and Romans, has a slightly different perspective to most of us. Mm -hmm. And I, I found it really refreshing that you Thank give you. us a kind of a Jewish application to yes. much of what was going on there. Yes. Yes, I, I think, I mean, I wrote those books, particularly one or two church leaders who had new Jewish believers in their church, saying there's a particular questions which people ask because of their Jewish background, because of their Jewish, the, the dynamics of Jewish life. So, so this, these, these books are an attempt to be rooted in scripture, but to be writing in a way which is for everyone, but especially it deals with some of the questions, some of the concerns, some of the possible misunderstandings a new Jewish believer would have 
So in a sense, it's a discipleship book, helping people be rooted in scripture, but also to be aware of how their own faith journey, uh, your own identity may affect your future discipleship. Yes. So those are the kind of issues we're looking at. Um, but people who've given feedback, both Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus, have said nice things about the book, which is always encouraging. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so going back to CMJ being birthed, what were the goals, the initial goals as the ministry was birthed? I think there was three things which have always been kind of right in the heart of CMJ's DNA. The first one is evangelism, to share the gospel sensitively and appropriately with Jewish people. And you know, as you know, as an evangelist, uh, understanding who you're sharing with is so important. And I think in sharing with Jewish people, there's certain opportunities uh, and the door opens in certain places, but also there's really significant challenges where the gospel almost comes across a closed door. So understanding uh, who you're seeking to share in a way which is sensitive and appropriate. So we've always trained uh, evangelists and churches to present the gospel in a meaningful way to Jewish people. So we are unapologetically evangelistic in that sense. Now, uh, on that, Alex, help us to understand the, the, the Jewish people yes. believe the Old Testament as we call it. Yes. Yes. There in the Old Testament are recorded what we would call the Messianic prophecies. Absolutely, yes, yes. How is it that they know those but don't recognise Jesus? Okay. I mean, I think you hope that they do know those. I think there's a lot of Jewish people, um, maybe secular Jewish people, who have no knowledge of, the, of their scriptures or what we would call the Old Testament or, or the scriptures Jesus knew. So I think there's, a, there, I think sometimes because someone is, is Jewish, it doesn't necessarily mean they, they're, they're familiar with the Jewish scriptures. So if they're from a secular background, you know, there, there, there needs to be that work of teaching. Um, so it's definitely they've, they've read and rejected those implications. They probably have never encountered that. So that's, that's, part, that's part of the story. I, I also think when, when Jewish people have been grounded in the scriptures, I think that, like you, I think there is an element of mystery because it seems so clear you know, especially something like Isaiah 53. Yes. And you think, well, it, it, it doesn't take a huge leap of imagination to make this a connection with Jesus. But I think the rabbis have either played down those prophecies because of the fear of it, the connection with, with, with Jesus, his claims to be Messiah. So it's either been played down or it's been interpreted in a different way. So, for example, the servant, who I think you and I would see is clearly pointing to the person of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, I think most rabbinic scholars would say, yes, but really primarily it's talking about the servant as the nation of Israel. So there's a reinterpretation of the text. So um, in terms of you know, evangelism among Jewish people, we have to do the biblical work to show what we believe is the prime meaning of the text. So I think there is um, a lot of work to be done. But like you, I think sometimes if people are rooted in those scriptures, the connection to faith in Jesus, you know, you would hope is going to be quite clear and, and there's a real momentum. And sometimes there is. Some people say, oh, of course, it all connects. All the pieces of the jigsaw are now here and that's wonderful. But other times that connection isn't made and you're thinking, well, well why? How, how do I understand the Jewish no or the Jewish not yet in the light of the scriptures? And we wrestle with that. 
but we're in good company. You read Romans 9 to 11, Paul is exactly what he's saying. How, how, how is there this no? Has God changed his mind? Has God become angry with the Jewish people? You know, what's going on? And I think we have to wrestle with those same questions. You uh, mentioned, um, Alex, there are three words. Yes, yes. Uh, evangelism yes. is the first. Yes. Second. And, and the second one is, it kind of leads on from this really, it's also educating the church. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's for the church to understand its biblical roots. It's for the church to understand God's faithfulness to Israel o over the whole period of biblical history. So it, it's, I think sometimes the church, particularly presenting the gospel, we have a very focused kind of almost kind of New Testament view, and we forget the wider narrative, how, how it all connects. So part of the educational work is, is, is trying to help the church see the faithfulness of God throughout history, particularly you know, with the covenantal people of God. Um, and, and I think just to try to widen the church's picture. So we work with, with particularly with church leaders, we often uh, encourage church leaders to come on a, a pilgrimage or a study tour of Israel. And that can be quite, uh, you know, changing in a good sense for, for people as they understand God's purposes. So it's an educational work. So yeah, there's evangelism, education and the third one they all begin with the same letter easy to to remember education and the third one is encouragement where we encourage jewish believers in jesus to to find their place uh within the wider church but also to to be encouraging their witness back within the jewish community we, we want this to be a mutual blessing it's not always easy to do that but we want jewish believers to be a blessing both to israel and to the church and I think sometimes Jewish believers walk a bit of a tightrope between the pull of a church, which is a largely Gentile organisation, and their own Jewish contours, their own Jewish families. So we've done a lot of work over 200 years of encouraging Jewish people to feel confident in their gift they have, perhaps to be a bridge between those two worlds. Yes. And a bridge is a huge privilege, but bridges also get trampled on. And there's a sense in which there's a cost to pay for that. So we, we feel you know, evangelism and uh, education and encouragement, particularly, I think if you are evangelizing any group of people, you have a responsibility for discipleship, to support them, to encourage them, to offer pastoral care. So that's always been a third strand which has been woven together. So that's how it started in, in 1809. And that, that has continued today. Although of course the context has changed immensely. When Joseph Frey began, in the UK, Jewish people were, were second-class citizens. There was no Jewish emancipation. Okay. So the context has changed, and obviously it's changed immensely more recently. In 1948, Israel became a nation. Um, uh, Jewish people have been through the Holocaust. All of that shapes your engagement in terms of evangelism, education and encouragement. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And in those early days, there was great support from people like William Wilberforce, yes. Lord Shaftesbury. Yes. It, it was amazing, really. You, you read down the guest lists as well, CMJ events, you think, goodness, maybe we've got the great and the good of the whole of the kind of British establishment here. And I think there was a sense in which there, there was probably a golden age of mission in that period in the 19th century. I think there was, um, most of our political leaders had some kind of grounding in biblical knowledge and biblical worldview. So I think it was a strong, a strong period, although I guess you, you might push back from that a little bit and say, 
there was also issues around imperialism connecting sure. in with missions. So it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a, a simple understanding. But there were great people of, of great people like William Wilberforce who were em embedded to the work of CMJ. And, and what's interesting, obviously his priority at that time was to abolish slavery, yes, yes. but he made this a priority. Yes, I, I mean, he, he, he would prioritise going to CMJ meetings. He, he was part of the, the major kind of support and donor work for CMJ. And uh, the story is that what kind of, kind of switched him on to the evil of slavery and why it needs to be abolished um, was his commitment and understanding to the Jewish, the Jewish story where they were slaves uh, of an oppressive Egyptian regime for generations. And I think, in a sense, reading the prophets, reading the history of the Jewish people gives you a, so a social ethical view where you want to challenge the structures in the world. I mean, the gospel is political, and people like Wilberforce saw that, um, and I think that's really, really important. Uh, my wife Killy and I, Alex, uh, started reading Genesis yes. on the 1st of January, and we're going through it. We're currently in Judges, but there's a recurring theme of uh, a people doing the same things despite being told by God not to do them. Yes. And then you move to the next book. Yes, yes. And it's again, and it's again. Uh, that's not to say that I don't always, I'm not, I'm foolish of, right. of course as well. <laughs> but when you read it, um, I'm sometimes hugely surprised that they keep rebelling. Mm -hmm. How do you understand and read that? the scriptures? Well, firstly, I want to say, I think it's great that you're reading, you know, in, in that kind of narrative way from Genesis going forward. I think my kind of bugbear sometimes with, with, with church preaching, um, and I criticise myself for this as well, because I was a church preacher for 30 years before working for CMJ, but I think often we kind of take a text out of context, yes, and, and it's encouraging and it's good, but we don't see the big picture. And, and I think to see how it all connects together is, is, is really important. And I think there is a progression from the Old Testament, from the promises of Abraham, uh, through there's a kind of intimacy from, from the tabernacle to the temple. We, we can see that. But I think you're also picking up uh, from your reading this idea that there seems to be this rebellion and this, this kind of no to God's covenantal faithfulness. And you think, well, how, how, how can that be? What, why is that? Um, and I think, you know, yeah, particularly after they got rescued from Egypt. Yes, yeah, yeah, and I, and I think, and I think there is a sense of mystery, isn't there? I mean, I suppose you could almost go right back to to the Adam and Eve story. I mean, people are in a perfect relationship in the perfect world, and they fall away from God. How, how is that? Why would people make those choices? And I think it does show us for the for the Old Testament. I think it does illuminate our own sinfulness, that we are, we are made in God's image, there's still something of huge worth about every human being, but we have inclination to sin, an inclination to break away from faithful relationships, the, the implication to put ourselves first, and, and, and that uh, is, is rooted in who we are, but we also see throughout the faithfulness of God, the empowering of God's grace, and I think in a sense, the ministry of Jesus brings those things into sharp focus. Um, and I think everybody who's, who's, who's responded to the gospel would say two things. 
God's love is amazing and powerful and his faithfulness is, is, is overwhelming and my sin is appalling. Absolutely. And, and, and I think it's that. And I think, and in a sense, I think the Israel story, in a sense, in microcosm, is our own story. We, we know God's faithfulness in different ways, but we've all messed up. And, and despite our best intentions, you know, this might be a bit of a spoiler alert, but I think we're going to mess up again. This is, this is a lovely book. Uh, CMJ, over 200 years serving the Jewish people. And um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a supporter of CMJ. Uh, I'm vice president of yes, CMJ. I mean, we're we're, we're honoured to be in your presence. Oh, listen, <laughs> but, but as I looked through yeah. this and as I read through all this, I, it really warmed my heart, yeah. Alex, that um, evangelism, education and encouragement. Yeah. And in those early days, hospitals, pharmacies, schools, yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think to reach people, you've got to show people you love them and you've got to be part of that community. Uh, I, I think that kind of hit and run evangelism from a distance just doesn't work. And I don't think it's biblically astute. I think you've got to build those relationships. And the Jewish communities scattered as they were throughout the world were often, not always, but often, you know, very poor, very needy. And CMJ is part of their mission uh, criteria would want to build schools and, uh, and hospitals, often in, in the very poorest parts of the Jewish world. Uh, so I, made, I mean, this book by, by Calvin Crombie, the guy who wrote the book, it, it did a really good overview. And you're just amazed by the pioneering spirit of these early mission workers yes. and, and also their longevity, that they would, they would go to a community and stay there. I mean, people were often working among the Jewish community in Ethiopia you know, working there for 40, 50 years. I mean, that's, I mean, I, mean I, I just feel I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, women and men of God who have gone out and have stayed and have been kind of ingrained in the community and have, have married, um, you know, issues around social justice, social development and, and gospel proclamation in a way which I think we could learn something from today. Absolutely, totally. Uh, one, one of your books, Alex, The Case for Enlargement Theology. Right, yes. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, I think, how do Gentiles, non-Jewish people, become part of God's redemptive story? Do we somehow replace Israel in God's redemptive story? And that's, there's a theology called replacement theology, sometimes known as supersessionism in academic circles. And that's really saying, yes, God was faithful to, to Israel, but when Jesus died and rose again, all those promises to Israel have been replaced by the church. So there's a, that's called replacement theology. Um, and I believe that is a false theology because I think it undermines God's faithfulness and the clear teaching of scripture. There's another theology which is called two covenant theology, which actually says Jewish people remain in God's purposes, but they do so to such an extent they don't need to hear the gospel. So the work of CMJ, you know, we're wasting our time really. That's not, that's not part of what God's agenda is. So often people in CMJ and elsewhere would, would see the errors of replacement on one side and two covenant theology on the other side of the argument. And we would say both of those fall short of what God's word teaches. And it's very easy, isn't it, to criticize other theologies, to see yes. their errors. You know? yes. uh, but we, we have the duty to put something else in place of that. 
So enlargement ethology is, is my term. I, I mean, I, I, don't, I wasn't aware it had been used before uh, to explain how I understand the, the, the outworking of God's purposes. That God's faithfulness to Israel is not replaced. Uh, there's not two different ways to salvation. But through Jesus, the gospel message is enlarged. So you and I, as Gentile believers, can join the faithful people of God by putting our faith in Jesus. We don't have to become Jewish to be saved. We have to simply put our faith and trust in the Jewish Messiah. So just as Jesus outstretched his arms on the, on the cross, God's covenant has been enlarged through Jesus. So enlarged mythology is an attempt to understand God's ongoing faithfulness to Jewish people. But the gospel is for everyone and the gospel is essential for both Jew and non-Jew, Jew and Gentile. So it's my term. Some people said they found it useful. Um, there's different terms in scripture. I mean, Paul talks about, the, has a picture of the olive tree. So some people talk about an olive tree theology. In, and, and I think there's other expressions and other terms, but I kind of find enlargement in a way works for me because I think it reflects something of God's heart. It's God's heart is enlarged to include everyone within his redemptive story, which begins with the call of Abraham and reaches its climax in the ministry of Jesus who was born, died and rose again for us and includes people like us. Amen, and that's yeah. good yeah. for us, and yes. it's good for me as a Greek. <laughs> yes, indeed, yes. <laughs> and yeah. for all Gentiles yes. as well. Yes. How many Jewish people, Alex, are there in the world? What's the population? Well, I mean, I mean, often how people define their Jewishness is kind of a little bit of a slippery term sometimes, but if you use um, the kind of standard uh, sort of mission Christian agency understanding it's someone with a with a Jewish god uh, grandparent is, is, is a kind of minimum requirement but I think in most kind of estimates we're talking about 15 million Jewish people and how many of those would be Jewish people who believe Jesus Yeshua the Messiah I think a very small percentage of that I mean we've 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 seen a growth in Jewish believers in Jesus especially in Israel and, and probably since 1948 there's been significant growth but I think we're still looking at probably a Jewish yes to Jesus which which would be in in single figures in terms of a percentage I wouldn't want to put a exact figure on that but in terms of a people group you could say they're, they're one of the most unreached people group in which, the world yeah absolutely which makes you know if you are saying there seems to be a New Testament priority to reach Jewish people so if you're leading a church, if you're, you know, say, well, somehow we've got to address that. There seems to be uh, both a priority in scripture, but a practical need because this group seems to be largely unreached. Um, so that's why CMJ continues. We, we, we have a, uh, an ongoing mission, which, which although we, we rejoice in the Jewish yes, we, our heart still aches with a predominant Jewish no. Alex. Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Thank you for having me. It's been a delight to engage with you. Thank you. I hope that has inspired you. Yes, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So whoever believes in him, Jew or Gentile, need not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's our prayer. Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, 
visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. One doctor developed the world's first vaccine. One civil rights activist helped to end racial segregation in the USA. One botanist developed new farming practices supporting impoverished farmers. One former slave escorted 300 others to freedom. One watchmaker saved the lives of 800 Jews and refugees during World War II. One politician persisted to see slavery legally abolished in the UK. Faith, love, generosity, sacrifice, perseverance. Heroes of the Faith, the new coffee table book by J. John. Available now at canonjjohn.com. <laughs>